0: Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the 10 Laws Podcast with East Forest. I am East Forest. I'm coming back to you from Boise, Idaho. We are coming into spring here. It's in that wonderful liminal space where sometimes it's cold, sometimes it's warm, sometimes it wants to snow, sometimes it's just absolutely brilliant. Today I have a podcast with Aubrey Marcus. And Aubrey Marcus is a dear brother, an amazing man, And someone with a lot of courage and just chutzpah, as you will hear from this podcast, where he gets into his adventures when he recently came back from a darkness retreat. Now, I say darkness retreat, not just like metaphorical darkness and emotional darkness, which I'm sure was part of this experience, but literal darkness. As he dove into an experience of being in complete, utter blackout black for days upon end, for the purpose of self inquiry and i think as you hear in this episode he recounts how it was pretty surprising about the results and the value of it and i'm so honored that he would come on to our show and give us a little glimpse into what it was like so uh, aubrey is the ceo of a company called on it which is a uh, i think he puts it a uh, human like optimization you know wellness and health Company with lots and lots of products. He also, as I hope you know, if you don't know, is he heads up the Aubrey Marcus podcast, which I was on, one of the favorite episodes that I've been on. And he's got like a fit for service mastermind year long kind of training experience that I also was part of recently in Malibu. Like they meet up, well, at least last year, they met up a few times a year for these sort of summits. And I came and did an East Forest ceremony for their last experience there, which is super beautiful. And it was a really amazing group of people. It was like the first time I'd done a sort of large-scale ceremony uh, where everyone kind of knew each other, which was, you know, they'd been going through this journey for a year. And it was really cool. It was really cool how that uh, influenced the experience. Um, so he's an advocate of psychedelic medicine as a therapeutic source as am I, among many other things. I wouldn't say that's the only thing he hangs his hat on by any means, and neither do I. But what's interesting about things like this darkness retreat is it's another way of exploring our inner self, another mode of self-inquiry, another form of technology, and this one that is pretty much just using your own endogenous chemicals that come forth when you do things like put yourself in the dark. So that's coming right up. I am playing at the Treefort Music Fest's uh, it's, come, it's coming very soon here, in March. And I know that South by Southwest and some other festivals like Ultra and Miami have canceled. As far as I know, Treefort's moving forward. Um, but, you know, keep an eye on that, as am I. That's, that's the latest I've heard from Treefort is that they are moving forward. But regardless, um, if it is, it's, it is one of my favorite festivals of the year. It's here in Boise, Idaho. It's just an amazing uh, list of curated emerging music. And I'll be doing two nights of ceremony concerts at the LED space, Friday and Saturday night at 1030 is when that is scheduled, as well as sets for Yoga Fort, which is my partner Radha's sub fort inside Tree Fort. So Yoga Fort is an amazing couple day event that's simultaneous with Tree Fort during the daytime and all the classes have music, live music. So I'll be doing a class with Radha on Sunday where I'll be backing her up and Given her as the best music I can possibly do. The East Forest Fall Retreat, that's sort of our flagship retreat that we also offer in southern Utah and the majestic, amazing wilderness and canyons and mountains and aspen trees and wildlife and high desert wonderfulness. That's down there in Boulder, Utah. That's probably the Boulder you have not heard of. Not Boulder, Colorado, Boulder, Utah. It's two hundred people in that town, but that's the best thing about it is it's, it's a raw nature diet. That's October first through fourth, and we have an exciting scholarship program coming up to announce very soon, probably the beginning of April. We'll tell you more about that. Um, but for anybody else who just wants to sign up and grab a spot because it is limited space, please do that eastforest.org/slash-retreat. Uh, We also have a retreat at Esalen in Big Sur, California. Esalen Institute, of course, is the wonderful, amazing natural hot spring resort on the edge of cliffs in Big Sur, California. Utterly magical. Couple spots left for that, I believe, last time I checked. That's the weekend of May 29th. And lastly, if you could please give this podcast a review. Uh, to, it's wonderful if you want to do a written one down there. This is on iTunes mostly. But even just scrolling down as I'm talking right now and giving it five stars makes a big difference, uh, helps motivate me, but also helps other guests say yes to coming on. And I've been asking all sorts of interesting guests to come on. And I hope you've been enjoying who we've had on. Um, that being said, this is uh, in the spirit of the gift. It's something I enjoy doing. I enjoy giving folks, just different doorways to walk through and our own journey of self inquiry and our own journey of just exploring what, what the hell it means to be alive at this time. It's amazing time with things like pandemics going on and upside down politics. And I won't even go through the litany and list of wild and crazy that's happening because you know it and I don't want to depress us, but it's also to say, Hey, you're a brave soul. You have chosen to incarnate in a time of great transition. And because of that, you are the warrior that is needed. And we need you. We need you. With that, let's get into this wonderful conversation with my dear brother, Aubrey Marcus. So... Let me just give people a little bit of background You went, correct me where I'm wrong but You went to Germany Mm -hmm. To uh, do a darkness retreat Which involved being in the dark obviously But like real darkness No actual light of any kind Like complete black. People like give you food Yeah Yeah And so even like when the food comes in No one is speaking to you And there's no light in that moment And you're alone
1: that's it. So let, I'll set you the scene. Yourself. So flew into Frankfurt, took a took a drive to uh Sachbenwalden, I think. I probably butchered that pronunciation, but it's a place in the Black Forest, and they have a darkness retreat center there with about eight rooms in this house that are completely blacked out. And there's absolutely no light, not a pinprick of light. Because if you do have any light, it is incredibly distracting. So, like, if there's any way in which there's just the slightest seam in the window, or like a little beep from the smoke detector, or something like that, like it will change the nature of your experience, which is that you should not be able to tell the difference between opening your eyes and closing your eyes. It's complete darkness, and that's the that's the essential, basically, engineering technology that's required to do this. Now, you could do this if, a, if you went into a cave that was deep enough. Or, but, you know, usually even in your house, there's not a single room in your house where some little bit of light won't find its way through, you know, and that could be the light from a, the on, you know, the off button of your television going all the way yeah. from your living room into the bathroom and then under the door. Like, it's amazing how sensitive your eyes get. After what about a sound? Of
0: time. Is that part of this too?
1: So that was a part of it too. So, Basically, you have a room, has a shower, has a toilet, has your bed. I had a little yoga mat, and then I had a place where I could bring my food to eat. And then I had a window and a radiator. The radiator, it was winter there, so the radiator kept it warm. But to get fresh air, there was a window. And what you would do when you had to open the window is you would put on a mindfold blindfold, which for most of us psychonauts, we understand what a mindfold blindfold is. It's the best blindfold there is, which does a pretty impeccable job of blocking out all light. Um, sometimes there'll be just a little touch that'll come through the foam or something like that. So it's not, Yeah, it's, that's the only relief from the pure experience of darkness is to be in the almost total darkness of having your mind fold on, uh, when you're opening the window to get a little fresh air. Because the thing is, if you're blocking out all light, you're also blocking out circulation unless you have some fancy circulator system in there. And then outside of my room was also a blacked out hallway where they would deliver food and then when they would deliver the food, they would ring a bell. And that would let you know that you go back out into the blacked out hallway, fumble around, find your food and figure out whatever it was. Usually stick your hands right in the food. The so start. there's other
0: people in other rooms doing this at the
1: same time? There don't are. Meet? Yeah. You don't meet them. No.
0: Does anyone ever freak out and be like, who's there? I need to know who's there. <laughs> I like...
1: think so. Yeah, probably. You know, that didn't happen when I was there. I was in a quadrant. The house was only half full. So my quadrant was actually empty. For uh for most of the time I was there. I think the first day there was somebody there. Okay. Um and then yeah, and it's it's darkness and silence. And if you have some like request for food, you write it on a notepad and then and you pull off the thing and then you leave it where your food is. And it's hard to write in the darkness. Yeah, you can't see what you're writing. You can't see what you're writing. So yeah. but they're pretty good at kind of figuring it out. And so, like, at some point I was like, uh, no more tomatoes, please. You know, it's a raw vegan diet. You know, so, like, I'd write that on the note and then. No know, nightshades was... <laughs> in the dark. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then one day I wrote, like, uh, more, you know, more coconut oil in my smoothie. You know, like, so I would write right. little notes. And then those would that would translate into, you know, reality at a later point. And you can ring a bell if you freak out and you need somebody help. They have, like, a 24-hour, like, intercom type of alarm system where if you push it then like bells go off in the house and then someone attends to you. So like if you lose something or if you have like a water accident or you have like, you know, something that happens, you can't, you can get help. But the idea is that it's darkness and silence. The only thing- How long
0: was this though? This was 10 days?
1: No, I was there for a total of like nine days, but I was actually in the blackness for six full days. So that was the amount of time that I was in there. Um, the only thing they gave us to break the silence was what they called an om box, and they were, you know, they were from like the Indian Hindu spiritual tradition, and I guess they got in India these boxes that had no light; it was just a speaker, speaker with an on, like an on switch, and it would play om on about a fifteen second loop. So it was like a yeah, loop. Of, so it's-
0: they make those well there's I've ha- I have one here it's like an old uh, Indian box looks like it's kind of a Sputnik thing and it, yeah. it just does um, like a um, like a Raga Tambur that's what mine does it just mm-hmm. kind of makes like a thing to to chant over I guess
1: yep and that's pretty much what this is except it was um that's so Om. interesting to me that's the only thing they give you that was the only like, of thing of all the
0: things that could make sound they give you a thing that does an electronic ohm. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm just curious, well, they must be very intentional about that, you know? It's like, why that? I, th-
1: I think because the the having at least the variance of either silence or that is, I think, really helpful. Now, eventually, the own box makes you go crazy, Adison, because it's like on loop. It's a very short loop, so like that yeah. becomes maddening. So you choose the maddening of your silence or like the maddening nature of having the own box on. So you have like a, a preference between the two, but at least you have like... The variance okay. of those two notes.
0: All right, I here I got a lot of questions. Is okay, the, yeah. The, let's just start at the beginning. There's a, why did you do this? What I What was, made I, you think you needed to go to Germany and sit in the dark for six days? I was days? called
1: to it in like a in a way that when I first did ayahuasca, I felt like I was really called to that medicine. Like Definitely. I heard about it, and I was like, I have to do this. And then, for the most part. Even, even when I met Don Howard, who's you know the spiritual mentor I hold in highest regard, I wasn't particularly called to see him. I was just like, yeah, let me check this out. He's serving Wachuma in a traditional way, like I'm curious. But it wasn't necessarily a calling that brought me to him the first time. Um, so I haven't felt a calling like this since ayahuasca the first time. I literally just felt called. And I had some ideas in my mind. That I knew that I would have to like grapple with my mind. And I was, I knew that this would allow me, I was thinking it would allow me freedom from the anxiety that comes from the constant necessity to do things. So I thought it was gonna be more like a release of doing. Um, But it wasn't exactly what happened. I mean, there was some of that, but. But meditation is
0: sort of that, but this is a whole nother level of it because you're taking away not just, uh, you're taking away these senses and for such a long period of time. Look, I, I've heard that this is used as a form of of torture. And I don't mean that pejoratively, but like it's a method they use to really fuck with people's heads uh, when they're captives. So you, you mess, you screw up their circadian rhythms in a way. Now, I guess you could sleep when you wanted to. And I'm curious, like, um, I, did you stop, did you start to have trouble, like, knowing, like, how long, like, did an hour pass? Did it, oh, did, totally. Did five minutes pass? How long did I sleep? You know, I mean, talk about some of the rhythms of experience that came up. I'm not asking you, unless you want to, to kind of tell me takeaways, which we'll always take, but I'm just curious, like what came up through these six days and what that experience is like, because I don't plan on doing this, but I'm curious what happens, like what happens when, you know?
1: Well, it comes in phases. So phase one is this kind of like, whoa. Whoa. I'm like really here in the dark and you're trying to like trying to figure stuff like before you get in the dark, you memorize the room, you put everything where you think you go. And then the darkness hits and you're like, Oh shit, here I really am. And there's this kind of like figuring out the, Oh shit, here I am moment. And then that kind of carries you through the first day when you start to like chew on some of the things that you've been thinking about. So it's Mm -hmm. a lot of like just thinking about what to do and thinking about all the things that more contemplation at that point. And, and it, that's kind of the, the flavor of the first day. Um, but it was actually pretty easy to sleep the first night. And they, they vary the times that they serve you the food, but they don't vary it by that much. They're not serving you food in the middle of the night, you know, because they're sleeping and they're doing it, is it. So is it three times a day? Three meals. Yeah. So you hear the bell three times for food. So were you hungry? You know, like, was it enough food? It was definitely a, a cleanse of sorts. Again, it's raw vegan, it's a smaller amount of food. And I was probably one of the bigger of bigger sized humans that went in there that's used to a higher protein diet, but I just considered it kind of a cleanse. And I actually appreciated the fact that it was raw vegan. There's a couple of reasons. One is that if the food was so tantalizingly delicious that I, I would just be waiting at the door like Pavlov's yeah. dog, like bring the yeah. bell, ring the bell, ring the bell. I can't wait. So the food was bland enough and just nutritious enough that it became just a function of here I am nourishing my body and grateful to be nourishing my body but it wasn't something that was like, so such a desire to eat. So if I was in a good meditative phase, I would leave my food out on the counter for maybe two hours past the bell or however long it was. But there was a regular cadence sometime in the breakfast period, eight, you know, 7am to 10am roughly food would breakfast would be served and then noon to you know 3pm would roughly be lunch and then you know, six to nine would roughly be dinner and they would switch it around intentionally so you didn't know exactly, but there was enough mm-hmm. of a cadence that you got to kind of figure it out. So anyway, so first day, first day is just thinking and contemplation and actually sleep was pretty good because that's the body starts to produce a lot of melatonin when you remove, you know, all of the blue lights and all lights, the body starts flooding you with melatonin, which is an A lot of dreams too then probably. Yep. So the dreams started to come and some really interesting dreams. And then day two um, you know, I slept pretty good and I started to figure out some of the things like the practices that I was going to do, like, all right, every day I'm going to take a cold shower. I'm going to stretch. I brought a little lacrosse ball to roll out on and I'm going to do, you know, I had these mala beads. I'm going to do kind of this self-love mantra, like through all the beads I'm going to, I'm going to have, I'm gonna have different meditations that I'm going to do. And I kind of started to get this regimen, but structure. there's a little bit of structure, you know, a little bit of things that I knew that I could lean on. And then this breath practice that I was going to do, every day. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of starting to figure that out. But the intensity of the machinations of my mind were also ramping up. So it started to become unpleasant with the amount of the amount of thinking that I was doing. You know, like it's I just so was
0: exposed, like, I would presume, like,
1: exactly, exactly. Yeah. And there's nothing to distract you. So you just go deeper and deeper into the thoughts and deeper into the anxieties that are underlying the thoughts and the forces that are pushing you into the thoughts and then make it through that day that that day wasn't particularly the hardest but i started to feel the pressure of the pressure of the darkness that was pushing on my thoughts and then kept trying to just okay i'm just watching my thoughts here, and i would catch myself and i'm like what are you doing, man? And I actually had a voice of one of my friends, uh, actually Mike Posner, oddly enough, who I just spent some time yeah. with in, in Poland. And I would have his voice just come in my head and I would hear him when I'd be stuck in this thing, like, ah, oh, what am I gonna do? I gotta do this, I gotta do this. And he'd be like, bro, honestly, it's not that important. <laughs> I, would, like, I would laugh and I'd be like, yeah, you're right. But I actually came up, in that first few days, I had so many ideas about what I was gonna do I was like, I figured it out. I know what I'm going to do now. I've thought about it enough. Like, I got to do this. And I was like, it was like wild shit. I was like, I'm going to sell my house. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, it was so much about what I was going to do externally to try and solve the problems that were internal. And You're I gonna believe- going
0: to get a darkness tattoo. <laughs> yeah, like the yeah, ayahuasca exactly. tattoo. <laughs> exactly, so man. It's like a big like- shadow <laughs> coming down your chest. Yeah. <laughs>
1: it, was, it was all of these things about what I was going to do. Then cool, the interesting okay. thing was um, day three hit. And day three, which is a little bit earlier for most, day three, the vision started to come. and Visions? You hear, and you hear about this. And, you know, so from a clinical perspective, they haven't proven the endogenous production of DMT in the human brain. Right. Because th- that would necessitate a vivisection of a brain when it was creating those molecules and fitting those molecules into the receptors. I don't think there's another way to do it. So it's unproven. They have some preliminary research in rats where they vivisected rats brains and so they right. they kind of get it but in mystical traditions they understand it and when you go to the darkness retreat it's just like they've they've done this for 10 years they know that people have visions so all the visions that are happening it's like yeah of course we've been talking about this in our spiritual traditions for three thousand years you go into the cave you start to have visions and we get it and it's dmt wow and they, just, they just understand that but I was curious and I was like, I don't know. I mean, I've done a shitload of DMT. I've done ayahuasca a bunch of times. I've done vilka. I've done 5-MeO. I've done NN DMT from the acacia. I've done all of the dish and mimosa. I've done all the different forms of DMT that I've had available, but not endogenously, obviously. So for whatever reason, maybe because my receptors were primed from all of my medicine work, I start getting visions on day three. And it was interesting because first thing that you see is like a light that's flashing, And coming into your eye, like your lights flash. There's like lights flashing. And I was like, that's fucking interesting. And so these flashing lights start to come. And then behind the flashing lights are what I would call, you know, off-peak DMT or ayahuasca level visions. So it's the same idea. It's this kind of moving, amalgamous, fractal pattern that you start to see. And it started off kind of subtle. And that, that third night was a hard night of sleep, but because I'm still wrestling with my mind. I'm very much in my mind, but I'm starting to open the pathway to these visions. But then by day four, the visions were fucking strong. And I was like, holy shit, this is an ayahuasca ceremony that is not going to end and appears to be escalating.
0: Does you it know, matter if your eyes are closed or not? It
1: doesn't matter. You can't the change the
0: channel. So you can't escape it.
1: No, so here's here's the way, the only way I realized that I could change the channel of my visions, because eyes closed, eyes open, usually in a trip, even a mushroom trip or an ayahuasca trip, you can open your eyes and it will change the nature of your vision. So if you're seeing some horrible shit, and trust me, I was seeing plenty of horrible shit, like wheat threshers rolling over people's bodies and like all of these things, which are the invitation to love everything as it is you know both the kali side if we're going to go for the hindu you know kind of representation that kali side of the the wild the the necklace of the severed arms and the baby's heads and all of this the dark that element of what we would traditionally call dark and i'm not referring to the light but like the dark imagery and it was very it was very much like that i was like fuck like this is a lot, but I've done enough medicine work where I was just sitting with it and practicing my best to love that and to not have preference towards the celestial visions, which I certainly do prefer <laughs> than seeing the dark mm-hmm. ones. But you learn to practice like the non-attachment. To just to move, you yeah, with the river. Yeah, exactly. continue through. Exactly. So those started to come and there were those visions were particularly challenging. Interspersed by an occasional, at that point, day four, interspersed by occasional like beautiful visions and surprising ones. Like one vision I had was an appearance of Buddha, which I've never seen before. never even felt that strong a connection with Buddha as like a, a teacher or an ascended master. I mean, I'm sure I have little Buddhas in my house, but it's more like a decorative representation with reverence, of course, but I'm never really connected to the Buddha as a being. Anyways, Buddha shows up in radiant gold and is just smiling, just beaming with the greatest happiness and this huge smile and I'm taken aback and I say, Buddha, why are you smiling? And Buddha looks at me and goes, why aren't you smiling? I go, oh, oh, and then Buddha starts laughing. I go, Buddha, why are you laughing? And Buddha goes, why aren't you laughing? And I was like, oh yeah. OK. And then we just like, looked at there's no nothing more to say at that point. I ran. I didn't have anything to say. I was like, yeah, that's it. Why am I not smiling? Why am I not laughing? And then, you know, that image went away. So there was there was those classic kind of ayahuasca level encounters where like a being comes and you see that being. And but and then there's also the the other kind of normal fractal patterns, you know, just things moving in geometric shapes and these kind of golf balls that had sprouts coming out and earth coming out and flotillas and different. Let strains. me ask you this.
0: So if you're having these visions, though, like on a psychedelic experience, there's often, often other layer of uh like, you know, the ego itself breaking down or time distorting the things that. Like this sounds like because y- y- in a sense you are sober, um, you should have a sense of an awareness of of yourself as Aubrey at witnessing these things. So it's yes. sort of an interesting. Like that seems unique. It's like you're having these it intense, is. yeah, visions, but you're also just sort of here, right? You're it's not having unique. all maybe the. Yeah. like So tell me about like, was there a body response or was, you know, on that level or was there sort of, nope. is it, this is all just visual in a way. All it's all visual. about the sight.
1: That was wild. what was really fucking weird. And the other thing that was absent is, you know, if you're on mushrooms, you feel mushrooms as an entity, as a presence. Like you feel like you got mushrooms, like your older brother or a grandfather, or some kind of energy in you know, all those are anthropomorphizations, obviously of an archetype, but you feel like there's a guide. You know, they say Mother Ayahuasca or like yeah. those, the, the, like these allies that are kind of guiding you yeah. through the journey. There's the absence of that. There's no guide and there's no somatic experience. There's just the visual opening of this field where you're in this place where your body feels exactly the same as it normally would, except you have these flashing lights and these visions that are appearing, which is like, it's a very strange and pure expression of the visionary state that i've never never experienced before
0: i don't know it's 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 really really wild to me because i'm trying to wrap my head around like of course the contrarian response would be like well yeah you go into a space and you turn off the lights and your brain's going to start making you're going to have all these visions coming from your brain but i'm kind of looking at it from the response of like sort of yes and it's like yes but it's sort of like the antenna that is the receptor for all of You know, that's one way of looking at consciousness, like you are this antenna. And maybe on certain psychedelics, you're tuning to different frequencies or amplifying what you can pull in. And you're doing that in this sense, but it's sort of like, what does it mean when you're you're able to be attuned to a wider frequency spectrum of consciousness, of energy, of life source? Yet, there's not always another entity there, like you said, like the guide. And sometimes it sounds like people drop in because you're you're mm-hmm. in the you're on the highway, you're in the river surfing all mm-hmm. this stuff. Um, but if you can't turn it off, like did that just go on for days? It went on for,
1: for the last three days? days. For the last three days. It was this escalating, it was this escalating journey. So again, I, I think I, I tried to mention it. The one way that you could change the visual channel is if you push on the top of your eyelids, you can do this even now even when you're not exposed but if you push on the top of your eyelids and put ocular pressure on your eyes you'll see different little patterns of light that'll kind of shift in your closed eyes right so Mm -hmm. when you're doing that in the darkness it's actually amplified so it'll come into this kind of really like bright this bright kind of more geometric not necessarily fractal pattern and so like if i really was like i just need a fucking break you know, from the seeing the same, seeing the same like DMT, tryptamine-laden visions, I would push on my eyes and I'd be like, "Okay, this is different." And then, it, but it it comes right back. It doesn't last for very long. So I could get like a thirty-second or a one-minute break by pushing on my eyelids. But so anyway, so I'm in this space, just tuned in for a long time. And the beauty of that was that I started to really learn. I started to like really learn from the space and take away like some interesting things. So I had a couple other like really powerful visions. I, you know, m- my father started hearing voices that, you know, about eight years ago and he's, you know, he's gone insane and and I haven't been able to speak with him. Nobody in our family really has for the last eight years. And I see a vision of my dad in the corner of the room, like just there in wow. the corner of the room. And he's in a, he's in a like a like a reading chair. And he's got a little nightstand and the nightstand has a lamp and he's reading a book. And I go, hey, dad, what you reading? And he says, the book of lies. And I said, why are you reading the book of lies, dad? He says, well, the book of lies tells me I'm a monarch. It tells me I'm a savior. It tells me I'm all of these great things. And then he closes the book and he, and he looks at me and he goes, um, son, like, always know. He's like, I'm reading, He's like he tells me all that, and I think I maybe said, why again? And he, and he said, well, because I never thought that I was enough. And I was never enough being just who I was. I was never enough being Michael Marcus. I was never enough being the man that I was. So I needed to turn to the book of lies to read something that made me worthy of love. And he closes wow, the book and he throws it over his shoulder. And he goes, son, know that no matter what, that you're enough. Know that no matter what, you're worthy of love. And that you never need to read the book of lies because who you are is absolutely as beautiful as any of the things that the book of lies would tell you. And I was like, "Yeah,
0: gives me chills."
1: I was like, "Fuck!" Like, you know, thanks, Dad. And we had like a little bit of an interaction after that. And I remember telling him, I was like, "You know, Dad, like, know that what you did was perfect. It was perfect because here I am." You know,
0: like, right. It's like the roles he's playing in his our incarnation as a gift to you, too, as a major yeah. part of perhaps his whole being. Exactly. I mean, what an amazing sense of gratitude you can have when we look at that's just our parents alone when we sit there and judge them, which is sort of what we're supposed to do as we develop. But then to have a new eyes on it as the gift maybe they're giving with their just the act of their entire incarnation so that you can bounce off of that and reflect yeah. off of that.
1: Yeah yeah and it was like what a what a payoff for that for that that moment, you know, and not to say that that is worth it or I wanted that or anything, but like in a way that was this full circle moment where I've gotten to see what my own neuroses, which is my own beliefs of not being enough, my need to do more, my need to be this or that to be worthy of love, like the logical conclusion of my own neuroses, if I engage that path for a lifetime and never actually surrendered to loving myself as I am then you come up the the ego comes up with a solution and the solution is in that case turning to the book of lies turning to a voice that would tell you something that would make you love yourself because the state of not loving yourself is intolerable so it was like me actually getting to see this in a way of like oh wow like this is the this is the conclusion of a lifetime lived in the denial of the love of you as you are you know so it's just ironically
0: I mean, that's really beautiful thank you for sharing that and and what i hear from that is also that part of what led you to do this in the first place was your own sense of something not being enough like there was some there was a seeking there and that's a lot of about your your drive as a person i mean did did that how does that feel now like, cause you're a very, very driven person. I mean, I believe before this trip, you were spending time with Wim Hof, which is mm. another sort of extreme experience. And yeah. you're always kind of looking for the edges and you're one of these guys who's the, uh, putting on the, uh, space suit and doing the work for people like me. So I can sit here and ask you, so what's it like know. out there, you know, <laughs> like too, <laughs> what, what happens when you sit in the dark for six days? Now I have it. Now I have a little bit of insight. Um, but yeah. how does that feel? Is it different for you? Your sense of
1: drive—it's—I've uh, had to reflect on that a lot because it's—it's it's interesting to to be in the world where you play chess in a certain way. You play chess when you record a podcast and how you release the podcast and how you cut the podcast and how you—even if you're expressing the truth, you're still delivering it in a way that the most people are going to be listening to it. So mm-hmm. there's this urge to divorce yourself from all strategy. You know, and just be like, no, like whatever I'm doing is enough. All I want to do is be. All I want to do is be. But then you go to back to the world of doing and the tension is, well, I want to help people see how I'm being so that I can share the what I'm doing. The kind of polarities, right? It's a you different, know, yeah, it's, it's an interesting. Purposely so, yeah. It's an interesting There's an engine
0: yeah. there, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So, I, and I haven't fully completely reconciled that because I think really the, the, the reconciliation comes from the awareness, basically, just like the awareness of like, okay, this is this is a strategy. I'm posting at three PM instead of posting it the middle of the night because it's going to reach more people. You know, like that's it's okay and it's okay to do that. You know, it's like this isn't me being manipulative or necessary. And maybe it is actually. And and if I am, then it's to be aware of that and be okay with that and say like, look, I'm human. You know, like I want this post to reach a lot of people and I want to, I want to feel that feeling, And so I think it's more just about awareness of it than anything, but it definitely has shifted my level of awareness radically. Cause now I'm like aware of when I'm playing chess rather than blindly playing chess, because I need to feed something that's in my subconscious or my unconscious, which is a desire for validation. It's like, Okay, no, no. I'm I'm playing chess right now. That's cool. And that's what humans do and that's what I'm gonna do. I run a business. I you know, I'm mm. trying to get my podcast out there. I'm, you know, I'm doing stuff. I'm, it's okay that I'm playing this game, but at least I'm aware that I'm playing the game. And, and it's I think like that- when
0: the map becomes the territory, uh, yeah. or or when the we know it's a game, but it's when we're lost in the game. Which I honestly think I I think about this a lot and I talk about it a lot because it is It's at the, really the spear tip in the forefront of people who are doing any kind of work to kind of help bring in this new story of being that is emerging. And we're all sort of singing about it and talking about it in our own ways. Doing that inside the system that is trying to change. And there's no other way to do it. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of like we're using the tools we're trying to replace. But that's how we have to do it. And that's yeah. complicated, and so for myself personally, the task is: um, how do I not? On a base level, it's like how do I not make things worse by putting <laughs> people more asleep by, and that's going to happen by me being lost in the game. Like yeah. I need so, but every day you're on this razor wire of like, wait a minute, okay, whoop, there's there's the truth, but here's me uh inevitably you I have to use these tools and I don't want to accidentally I want to build the house, not hit the hit my thumb with the hammer or hit someone over the head. And and that is a tricky thing because you want to have some fun with it too. Like you said, we're humans. We're meant to have fun with it. We're meant to play. And yeah. Maya is a form of play. And so I, there is no answer to it because it's a continual process. Like you said, when we're doing podcasts or we're we're talking or anything, you're in your mind there's there's right now is that dance of like How authentic can I be, but also not be uh, boring, right? Right. Or 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 have dead air or whatever it is. It's like, and that's I guess the skill. And
1: you decided to just sit and look at each other. That might be a lovely just eye gaze. Yeah, it would not (laughs) be a lovely experience for our dear listeners. You know, so yeah, it is. It's a it's a it's a dance. But I think play is play is exactly the the right word. And and in my own. Other former encounters with the divine, I think I, I can remember one encounter with the divine where I asked a very similar question, like, how do you embody the aspect of the divine, which is complete release of, of attachment, you know? And I started to understand, I had my own way that I defined the divine in the darkness of the, I called it the loving, a perspectival witness of all.
0: a per- So non-perspective loving witness,
1: yeah. sense. Yeah. So like, if you become the witness of the witness of the witness and there's just, it's the loving, a perspective, it has no perspective. It's as Hermes Trismegistus says, it's the infinite sphere whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere, right? It's like, there's no perspective because it's all perspectives. So like in that place, I was asking like, well, how do we embody the divine in the human form? And the divine in that day had a sense of humor and just kind of said, eh, you do your best, <laughs> you know? like. <laughs> Like, like it's it's not meant to be it's not meant to be perfected, you know, like mm-hmm. it's meant to be just played with and, and recognized and it's not possible. We're we're in a body where we're in multiple dimensions that do have perspectives. And the ability to completely shed that perspective is maybe the long journey home that we're all on. But for now, we're we're in the world of perspective. And so once we're in the world of perspective, we have to play in those lokas, in those planes of existence. And uh, but I think play is the is the absolute key word. That was the teaching that Buddha gave. Like, you know, I'm all fucking flustered thinking about all these things. It's like Buddha comes in beaming with a smile. I'm like, why aren't you smiling? Why aren't you why? smiling?
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, yeah. and that's I think, that's I think the big the big key.
0: Well, you know, the word darkness in a sense, like when I started this, and I said you spent you went into the darkness, or you spent time in darkness. I would assume most of our brains went to negativity like you went into the dark parts of your psyche the shadow um and i've had some experiences where i would realize the darkness actually being sort of like the primordial womb like mm. the ultimate warmth or the place of all creation as opposed to what we normally think of like light versus dark sure did you have any insights or feelings about what yeah, darkness, the darkness like the fertileness of it
1: yeah it's uh the darkness and the light, I realized, like if you imagine the most blistering white light, it's blinding, you see nothing. And if you're imagining the most penetrating, like impenetrable, impermeable darkness, absolute cloaking black, you see nothing. It's the same thing, right? It's the all. It's just different, it's just different ways to look at the one. You can look at the one through all the light, you can look at the one through the absence of light, but you start to lose the distinction you know, and so the blackness is the, all it's the divine. It's not the. we always try to think like, oh yeah, the divine is the light. Sure. If you want, but the divine is the dark. Sure. If you want what it isn't is it isn't the, it isn't the contrast that comes. I mean, yes, it is. But if you're talking about the one itself, purely, Like it's not the contrast, it's not the colors, it's not browns and purples and greens and all of these different things because that's a perspective, that's that's the blending, you know, that's polarity, you know, Mm -hmm. and this is like the one is the place beyond polarity, the entity beyond polarity, the force beyond polarity, whatever your language wants, but so the light and the darkness are really the same, and I think in some ways, I think people of being afraid of the darkness, yes, maybe there's practical reasons there was predators in the darkness or people rob houses in the dark or whatever but i think in some ways people are afraid of that encounter with divinity with like and that's i think inherently in this darkness like what is what is there for us in the darkness and i think that's something to really take a look at because the darkness was absolutely rich and full like as full it was a plenum like it was just full of everything and the longer i stayed in there the more the more full it was i mean it was interesting because you think you would miss sight but i didn't miss sight because i could see i was seeing so much right out of mm-hmm. the point by day 5 i'm eating my food and as i would eat my food i would see like sprouts and carrots and like things like bursting in my third eye i would go take a shower and i would soap up my hands and i would see bubbles coming up in my third eye and then in like really clear ways i would I would wipe my ass and I would see shit, and I'd be like, there was like not things that I couldn't see. I could see the faces of the ones I love and see them talking to me, and I could see beautiful landscapes and these celestial gardens and these you start to see things, and so you don't necessarily miss the sight because you have that I mean in some ways you do, you miss the ordinary world but here's let me here's where um here's where it really broke me. I'll tell you where the darkness broke me, okay the darkness broke me. When I recognized, and this, this happened, you know, my mom, I've been very fortunate in that my mother has been probably the closest approximation of unconditional love of any human being I've ever encountered. Mm. And I encountered her in, in the darkness, and she came and she just expressed her love to me like, mm. I love you so much, and I've always loved you, and I always will. And I felt it, and I felt it like go deep like through all the layers and I recognize like, <laughs> fuck, like I've never really let that love all the way in. I've never let it all the way in. And you know what else? I haven't let in all my love for my life. I haven't really let myself love my life and it's kind really of letting yet. that love through. Yeah. How does yeah, it transmute
0: man. out that? What ways can you love unconditionally?
1: Mm-hmm. I haven't. And the reason why is simple, not simple, but it's, it's this form of cowardice because I was afraid that if I let myself feel that love and it went away, then I would be too hurt. You know? So if I let myself feel how much love that was there for my mother and my mother died, well, then I would be too crushed. If I let myself feel how much I love my life and I died, then it would be too devastating. I would be too afraid of death to even go on if I let myself realize how amazing it is to be me in my life, in this body, and this, with everything I have. So I numbed it, I numbed it all down. So it's like, yeah, if I die, I die, you know, I go off to the astral, whatever. Oh yeah, if my mom dies, what's, you know, no one ever really dies. It's just a ceremony, it's just a transition, blah, blah, blah. So you use all these excuses, but really it was, the truth of the matter is, is that I would layered up enough armor so that I never really felt love fully, I never really felt happiness fully I never felt it except for brief moments where I would burst through with medicines or with just random experiences or with laughter or with some other thing where I'd burst through but I'd always close back up and so when that burst me open and then I mean it was an absolute emotional outpouring feeling that love and recognizing how much I love my life and I was just sobbing saying like I love my life I love my life like I love my family. I love my friends. I love everything. Then at that point, that's when it—that's when the darkness broke me. Because at that point, I was like, "I want to go. I want to get the fuck out of here. I want to be in my life. I want (laughs) to be in my life. I don't want to have no sounds. I want to listen to fucking music. Mm -hmm. You know, like I want to listen to music. I want to hug my friends. And what if something happened to somebody while I was here in the dark and I never got to like." love them yeah. in the way that I feel yeah. right now. And so all of these things started to come. And that's that was the hardest day. That was the last day. So that was day five. I got out on day six. But that was the hardest day. And, and it took the darkness kind of putting me back together in a way and like bringing me forward into the love of my life um, before it became so, so difficult to stay in there.
0: So it's almost like you're saying the darkness... Brought a deeper level of vulnerability for you to accept that which you have or that yeah. which exists in your life, yeah, I mean it's hard for me, it's probably hard for a lot of people to <sighs> impermanence, and when you fully grok it, you want to hold on to things and maybe you and you can't, so you try to protect yourself by perhaps not fully embodying the experience, yeah. There's a tragedy to that, right? There is. There only is the experience. Why not fully accept it? Even though pain is part of the experience, you can't protect yourself from that. I guess numbing, like you said, trying to numb yourself up is the only approach, but maybe it's it's a temporary
1: anesthesia. And it's the most foolish anesthesia possible because while it may be hard to let things go, the real horror of horrors is to have gone through your life with the opportunity to feel it and love it and not having taken that opportunity. Like that's the that is the essential horror. So like it, we just have it backwards. We're numbing ourselves for a very small pain at the cost of the great tragedy which would be to not love your life. And and that's the that's the ultimate reframe that you have. Now, the fucked up part and the hard part is that You have these experiences, I guess you would call it like in some ways, this was an extended Satori, like this this immersion, just like a psychedelic journey where you touch something and you feel it and you feel the experience of this. And then you travel back to the ordinary world and already I can feel and become aware of the same protection mechanisms layering back on just like. It's a familiar pathway.
0: Yeah, it is. It's
1: familiar to be that. The difference being is that I have a greater level of awareness and I think I'm, I'm more capable with that awareness of actually trying to untangle the knots. Um, but it's not like, I think you always have the hope that, uh, that you go through an experience like this. Maybe it's a great mushroom journey or maybe it's a great, you know, it's this great experience in the darkness. You hope you just come out. And you're a new person and it's from there forward. I loved my life. That was the point, you know, yeah. but it's, yeah. it's a practice. It's, a, it's like a gradual process of like awakening to the truth that you know to be true.
0: But there's no destination, Aubrey. And I mean, you've, it's a process of experience and you have had this experience and it, it cannot not inform your walk now. Sure. And like you said, I mean, that, the what we're grasping for is sort of like, well, then I've. I've arrived somewhere. I won't experience the, the things that caused me certain kinds of pain, but there's a witnessing of it now that you didn't have. There's a certain perspective that you didn't have. And so, I mean, maybe the gift is just being able to sit in a different seat and watch that show go by. Mm-hmm. The show's going to go by still. Um, I mean, it's certainly, look, on um, there's just a the level of the gift you're giving by sharing the story and how that will reverberate in someone else's psyche is beautiful. That's a form of that unconditional love for your mother flowing through you and then you give it out to someone else. That's it right there. Yeah. And it's, again, not something like you create this thing and you can put it out and that's like I finally hit the spot. Yeah. It sort of like happens in multitude. The unconditioned is that it's across time, like it's without time. You know, yeah. It's here, it's there, it's... Um, it sounds. It sounds to me, like in the the great spectrum of your psychedelic experience, this one was quite valuable.
1: I would say the most, to be honest, you know, and and I've done so many that have been so impactful, and um, the duration the duration is the is the interesting thing because it's like it's a baptism that stays a little bit longer. So the longest psychedelic journey I'd done prior was. Iboga, which lasts 18 hours. And that was, that had a pretty significant impact because of the sheer length and the sheer volume. It's also very intense, very physical, very uncomfortable, very fucking uncomfortable. But the length of it was special because you're in it for so fucking long, you know? And I think the darkness was, you know, it has its own, it has, it had its own neutrality, it had its own flavors and stuff. But I think it's really the immersion in it and then that kind of staying in that space. That was made it such a powerful experience because it wasn't it wasn't quite the same as like peak psilocybin or peak ayahuasca right, 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 it never right. reached quite that level but but nonetheless staying with it for that long it you just can work
0: with it too you can a much really more, work with it and yeah. really like
1: learn from it I started to learn how to translate things like <laughs> so I, I would see things and I, the things I started to see in in kind of like a fractal one color way like i'm smart enough now that if i saw a white bull come and i could see the bull's eyes and i could like see his whiskers and I, it was like 3d bull i would be like hey bull what's up like i've been in enough journeys to know that animals might want to talk to me you know <laughs> of course <laughs> that i'm going to fucking talk to the animal but if i just they might want to talk i just saw the shapes of bulls and and i was like well that doesn't mean anything that's just my mind this is just patterns i'm just seeing patterns so i didn't have the awareness that maybe those patterns were actually somebody or something or some way that my mind needed to communicate an idea or explore an idea. So anyways, the example of this one is a funny one, because I was intentionally communicating with a lot of the people I'm close with, which seemed like the door had already been mutually open. So it was easy to communicate, but there's people and things that I wasn't ready to, I didn't really want to engage with. So I did, I wasn't Mm -hmm. opening my door So I kept seeing all these bulls. And I was like, I don't know what the fuck the deal is with these bulls are. And something that the retreat director, Bharati, said is just like, just be aware. Because at one point, we did communicate at like day four. Because I was, and that was, uh, she brought me down to, she asked me if I wanted to go down to their singing. They do this like Hindu chanting and singing. And she asked, she invited me down. So we talked a little bit uh, with the Mindfold on. We talked a little bit about that. And she's like, just know that everything is communication. So I sat with that, kept seeing the bulls. Finally, I'm like, okay, fuck it. Even though this is 1D, shape of a bull, all I see is the horns, you know, like, and everything. I was like, maybe the bull has something to say to me. And I say, mm-hmm. bull, like, do you, are you something? Do you, you want to say anything? And then it goes, Brrr, and it comes through. And my, my ex-partner, who I'm still very close with, Whitney, it was her boyfriend. It was her boyfriend, <laughs> Ricky. And I'm like, Ricky. You gotta be fucking kidding me. <laughs> like like so there's there's no way and he's like, hey mate, like really happy to you know, really happy to be talking to you here. You know, like I've been having these things going on and uh you know I've just been blah blah and he goes into this whole story and I'm like, You've gotta be fucking kidding me. I'm talking to not that I don't like him. He's a he's a really sweet guy, but like it was the yeah, last I mean you you were talking to the Buddha for a minute
0: yeah. there and then <laughs>
1: Yeah. And then, and then Ricky swims in you're like, wait, what? Hey, what's up Ricky? What's, what are you doing here? Yeah. yeah, exactly. It was like, what is going on? So we ended up having this conversation. I texted him about the conversation we had at the end of it. And he was like, wow, man, that's like spot on. Like, thanks so much for sharing. But it was interesting. As soon as I asked the bulls and I had that conversation with Ricky, the bulls went away. Like that pattern was out of my field. Huh. And then, so I started to go through and there was this like parrotfish looking thing that was my friend live. And then there was these, these fucking, um, spaceships that were like these alien beings that wanted to talk to me. And there was this flower that represented oh. an X that I had. And then there was oh. this like, and it was like all of these things that were just like, I just considered the fractal patterns of being in the DMT space were actually like people, like things knocking on the door, either of my own imagination Holy shit. or like a communication. So that was a really cool experience to learn like, oh, if I really look deeper, like all of these things might be something trying to communicate.
0: And the role of your invitation for it to to open the doorway of that communication, that's that's spoken a lot in various uh, traditions or uh, methods. It's like you have to have that invocation, invita- invo- you know, invitation and to be yep. careful of what you are inviting in because that's how it works. It's like yeah. you have to kind of open the doorway in a sense. And then it's like, okay, great. Thank you. Finally, you know, we can't, yeah. we can't get in without that. Um, That's a pretty powerful
1: lesson in itself. It was. And interestingly, there was other, there was other times where I would try to talk to someone who didn't want to talk to me. And like, I would try to open the door. I would try to pry the door open. And the encounter uh-huh. was always like, hey, fuck off. You know, like. <laughs> Like, don't, I don't fucking get the fuck out of here. Like, I have nothing to fucking say to you, you know? And like, so it was, it was interesting. Like, if you try to like force that and it's not something that's in accord, it, it never really worked, you know? And I think that would have been the same if with those other entities, if they tried to force their way in, I'd be like, get the fuck out of here. But the fact that I was like, okay, bull, like, who are you? And then I was like, Hey, it's Ricky. You know, like, I was like, well, I opened the door. So that we could have the communication, mm-hmm. but I think there is this kind of, if you, it's just like I guess part of the astral rules. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know, but you start to learn yeah. stuff. And I wouldn't have learned that if it was a four-hour journey or a five-hour journey, because I wouldn't have had just the time and the patience of, you know, I was only sleeping three, four hours a day because I had my aura ring on. So eventually, it tracked, and I got to see I was sleeping like three, four hours a day. So I was in vision for twenty. 21 hours out of the day so you start to get real curious wow
0: well just last few questions um so i'm curious when you came out of this uh how quickly like they how did how do you come out of it and how quickly did you kind of work your way into regular light and consciousness how did this fade
1: well, so I they walked me outside, and the first part is the you you have your blindfold, and it was sunset, and I just took my blindfold off and let this let the sun hit my eyes, and then I looked out over the black forest and this kind of pastoral landscape, and I just one of the deepest emotional outbursts I've ever felt seeing the world like, you know, there's a saying from Christ, "Behold, I make all things new," and it was like yeah, I rebirth. Reached- love. And I looked at everything and it was so beautiful. And mm-hmm. it was also the beauty of what I was seeing, but also the sorry of having the sorrow of having not seen it for mm-hmm. so long. And that just overwhelmed me. And I cried for like 20 minutes. And it was, you know, it's, the light is really hard. So you're kind of squinting and taking in as much as you can. Um, and then, you know, eventually, I sat outside for as long as I could. And then it got dark and cold. And then I went back to the room and lit a candle. And just kind of like stayed there with the candle, looking at the fire and thinking. And then eventually I could just feel my phone beckoning. And I was like, I got to take this fucking slow. (laughs)
0: Explosion.
1: Yeah, I got to take this slow. So uh, fortunately, it was on like airplane mode. So I switched from, you know, I didn't get all my texts flooding through or anything like that. So the first thing I did was actually put on your Ramdas album. And I was like, Mm. music. Uh
0: Di- yeah, it's cool. It's interesting, like a different sense to kind of
1: buffer yeah. in between yep. them. Yeah, and then I went to dinner and you know had food that I could see for the first time, and that was lovely. And um, you know, you're still like a little disoriented, and things that move fast kind of make you dizzy. And you know, your eyes take a little while to adjust. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, the anxiety of the anxiety of what was waiting for me on my phone was outweighing my you know, my God, life. It must have
0: been a lot, man. You're a busy guy. I mean, it yeah, must have been. so
1: it was, uh, even though people knew, I knew there was a lot that was going to come through. So I just clicked that button that same night simply because I was so anxious about it. I was like, I just got to get this over with. Like I have to, I'm not, I mean, I could try to hold this off. There's nothing I have mm-hmm. to do, but the anxiety mm-hmm. of thinking about it and being able to do it was too much. So I clicked that off and got a lot of message. Fortunately, all the messages coming through were, loving messages. And I kind of hit my mom up and let her know how much I loved her. I was going to ask.
0: Yeah. Okay. Good. (laughs) good.
1: Um, And then, you know, sent one message to the group, like letting them know, like, Hey, I'm out. I'm great. I love you. I can't, I'm not going to be on my phone for a little bit. And then, you know, spent the next, that night and the next day, kind of just sitting with it, playing with the candle, leaving the candle on, listening to music. But honestly, that next day, um, everything was really overwhelming like everything was really overwhelming i i felt like just a peeled a peeled potato where like all my skin was off and everything seemed like too much
0: yeah so raw yeah, yeah. so vulnerable so
1: it was I, I really was and uh and that that was that was challenging you know i i started traveling the next day and um you know, there's a lot of anxiety at just dealing with normal life and like all of the normal protective mechanisms that make things smooth and make me confident to like kind of push through all these things. So much of that was stripped away. I would burst into tears randomly, you know, like even like watching a show or or seeing something and just seeing like a glimpse of the beauty of humanity. I would just start sobbing and be like, I love humans. You know, like humans mm. are amazing. Um, and then different periods and i think eventually the rawness that rawness stayed for so long and and the flavor of that rawness was as i crashed back into reality um was anxiety like it was like so overwhelming that i think that's what facilitated me putting my armor back on i had some beautiful encounters where because the armor was like half on and a lot of like really nurturing beautiful encounters but also a lot of stress and i think um so then eventually I put enough armor back on. You know, I had a few nights where I drank some wine and was like, look, let's just fucking get back to like. Relax a little bit. yeah, <sighs> A little bit, you know, <laughs> I, I, need, I need ceremony to be over for a minute. Mm-hmm. You know, and then throughout this past week, it's been a nice process of getting back to the breath work, you know, getting back to things where I'm just more comfortable making the armor permeable so it's not like a binary off on it's more mm. like permeable where i can where i can exist with it and i can also kind of melt it back a little bit so i'm starting to have like a little bit more agency with that which feels mm. which feels good
0: well i've i can sense it i can i can feel uh the permeable malleable nature of whatever it is your, your consciousness you're working through so it doesn't feel like um I definitely feel like some of this beautiful darkness coming through in the form of, it's a sweetness to it. And we always say like, oh, I can feel the light from you. I can feel the darkness from you and it's beautiful. (laughs) Beautiful. So thank you so much for for sharing that with us. It's like what a gift to give us that time and it was fascinating for me as well.
1: Yeah, I wanna do other stuff in the dark now too. That was another another (laughs) idea I had, like I wanna have sex in the dark. Like in oh, the pitch dark. Yeah, real dark, yeah. Like not like just lights off because you can still you see. To create body. it
0: at your house, a real a dark room. A dark room. And that's, yeah. and that's
1: like part of the intention is you know, I don't have to do the long stays where the melatonin converts into DMT or whatever the fuck happens that creates the visions. But just to go in there and experience some things because the meditations were easier. They went deeper. And it's so nice not to have to have a blindfold to be like really no sensation around the eyes. You're just free to be in the darkness. So meditations are interesting. Like talking to people, I think would be fucking lovely to be in the dark just to sit.
0: Well, off, yeah, I mean, I often do podcasts with just audio, but uh, it's helpful like right now to have body language of sorts. But at the same time, there's, there's something to be said for listening like that. And there's forms where like, I've seen those dinners that you go to in the dark mm. where um, that's something, uh, and the, all the servers and waiters are blind people but you have no sight to go in into dinner and it's sort of like to enjoy the food more and so forth. And I think you, I'm sure you've heard about the kids that are brought up. I don't remember the the tribe or the group and they, they don't have any light until, I don't know, 13 or something. And those are the ones they find to be receptive, to be like the shamans of yeah. their, their group. And so there's definitely something there as to like what it can cultivate and awaken other parts of your psyche and your mind. And maybe as you're yeah. experienced divisions that it allows to come through because something else isn't sort of there's a kind of noise that is not there anymore and so the antenna can pick up something else more clearly no doubt no it's doubt. amazing yeah. <laughs> you're a crazy man I love it uh, I sent you some, some light and love and a, a few yeah. moments when you were in there because I was like oh he's in it right now I've and, uh, that, brother. Yeah, I yeah Rada it. did as well and so thank you
1: beautiful yeah. you my man so much love you
0: brother (laughs) thank you so much aubrey for coming on the show he's someone that i as soon as i met him we met doing a video chat actually and the first time we were talking i was like oh i click with this guy this is you know sometimes things just flow aubrey's in the flow and maybe we've just known each other before or something along those lines but really fun to dive into that experience and thank you thank you aubrey Check out On It and check out his wonderful podcast when you get a chance. This song that you are hearing in the background is called Tillage. And it is from Music for Mushrooms, a soundtrack for the Psychedelic Practitioner. That is my five-hour album that is designed for just what it says, guiding a psychedelic therapeutic mushroom journey. Now, of course, you could use this music for anything you like. You could use it for studying, for making babies. For maybe other psychedelic work As I've heard people do um, just happened to be designed for The psilocybin journey And it's a 5 hour fully connected Fully researched through 10 years Of our own anecdotal research of, As what works to guide someone through a ceremony And I talk about that a lot In other podcasts I won't go too much into it now Thanks again for giving this podcast a review For sharing it on social media And telling your friends And, and helping it grow because we're just trying to put forth a new story into the land the great land of the human experience saying we can do this we can do it better it can be more beautiful and you are needed thanks so much for uh, listening you keep walking your walk don't take any shit but if you do do it with grace